What's going on, Lessonators? We're going to need you to hold on to your headphones because we've got another fantastic episode coming your way. In today's episode, we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. Daryl Stickel. Daryl holds a PhD in business from Duke University and is a true expert where it concerns building trust, even in the most challenging and uncertain circumstances. In fact, he wrote his doctoral thesis on just that, building trust in hostile environments. In 2003, he founded Trust Unlimited, an organization dedicated to helping individuals and businesses foster trust and exceptional leadership. With over two decades of experience, he also became an accomplished author in 2022 with his book, Building Trust, Exceptional Leadership in an Uncertain World, which has been praised for its insights on cultivating trust in personal and professional relationships. In today's thought-provoking conversation, we dive deep into the essence of trust, what influences our decisions to trust others or ourselves, and how vulnerability and uncertainty play a key role in our perception of risk. Dr. Stickle shares invaluable insights on how we can embrace vulnerability to create a safe space for our children to thrive and grow. So... Whether you're a parent, a guardian, or simply someone interested in understanding the dynamics of trust and reassurance, this episode is a must listen. Get ready to challenge your perspectives and learn how to navigate the delicate balance of trust and vulnerability in your journey of personal growth and parenting. Let's get into it. Welcome to What's the Lesson, the podcast that takes you on a deep dive into the world of character development. We're Jill and Mary, the dynamic duo behind Girls Mentorship. We foster self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-awareness for tween and teen girls, along with their invaluable network of supporters through events, resources, and mentorship. Picture us as your coaches walking alongside you through the world of social-emotional learning and think of this podcast as your own personal roadmap. We'll support you in discovering obstacles that might be holding you back and gain clarity on why this work is a game changer, not only for your growth, but for the next generation of leaders as well. Alongside our fantastic guests, we're here to share knowledge about how you can change old patterns of behavior and make sense of those WTF moments, shifting them into lessons that can drastically improve your life instead. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a superhero stay-at-home mom, or someone fueled by boundless curiosity, our mission is crystal clear, to supercharge your emotional intelligence and sprinkle the magic of SEL into every corner of your life. It's so wonderful to meet you. We're super excited to have this conversation because like I said, it is so relevant to the work we do, which just as a little side note, we own a company obviously called Girls Mentorship. So we work heavily with girls. We like to work with the community because obviously we can't just teach girls without community support around life and personal development skills. So how to be self-confident, how to be vulnerable, the power in that. Um, but what we're facing with schools, what we're facing at home, what we're, what our kids are seeing on TV is is hard. On TV, on on social media is hard because they're seeing these rough exteriors. They're yeah. seeing people go cutthroat at one another, and it's it's they think that that's how they need to be. Yeah, and so for me, 
When we're deciding whether to trust, it's uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. And so early in our relationships, uncertainty is high, which means we can only tolerate a small range of vulnerability. As those relationships get deeper, the, the uncertainty starts to drop and the range of vulnerability we can tolerate starts to grow. Mm. So if our vulnerability stayed steady, our uncertainty is bouncing all over the place, right? The rules are changing, norms and values are changing, the sort of what good looks like or, or how we're supposed to show up in the world seems to be such a quickly moving target that our uncertainty is so high we're struggling to be vulnerable with anyone. Well, and I love that you use the word tolerate. Mm -hmm. So um, how much vulnerability we're able to tolerate because that insinuates that vulnerability goes two ways. So if I'm uber vulnerable, whomever I'm being vulnerable with may not be able to handle my level of vulnerability. So it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because part of the struggle here is we have these norms of reciprocity, right? We, we, we want to respond at the level that you approach us at. It's a human drive for us to want to reciprocate, to, to respond in a similar fashion. If you come at me with too high a level of vulnerability to start with, I start to panic because I think, oh my God, I can't, I can't match that. I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to go to that level yet. And, and now you're putting a great deal of responsibility on me to protect you right, to manage those vulnerabilities, to help shield you. And I don't know that I'm up for it. I don't know that I have the the skills to do it. Well, do you think on the flip side, though, because I totally hear you on that, and I'm just curious of your thoughts around if I do share really vulnerably and you don't reciprocate that, I then take it as, well, are you mad at me? Right. We, we interpret the world through stories. Yeah. Right? Oh, so, yeah. Amen. <laughs> so so we're left kind of wondering, why did that person not respond the way that I yes. opened up? Is it me? Am I the problem? Right. Because you're the center of the universe, right? 100%. <laughs> right? Especially in the demographic we work with. Yes. Yeah. And with that with that perception, it, it goes beyond body language or recognition. It now goes to, well, they didn't like my story reply. They didn't tag me in that photo. So it, it's it's grown. Right. So I I have two sons. They're 21 and 18, center of my world. They mean more to me than anything. And part of the the thing that I do with them is reinterpret, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll come back and they'll say, oh, this happened and that happened. And I said, is it possible that they weren't thinking about you at all? Because you're in an age group where people are thinking about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that response was based on challenges they're experiencing. It had nothing to do with you. And so I have a relentlessly positive story about my sons. I believe that my role is to prepare them to take risks in the world, Mm. to give them a safe harbor from which they can go out in the world and try things and explore and experiment and know that there's always a safe haven to come back to. And that I will be there and I'll be in their corner no matter what. And so really it's a big part of how do we interpret these stories? How do we help each other have a positive narrative? And, you know, Thinking about the other is a big part of the coaching that I do, right? That level of empathy about thinking about others' perspective, the story that they may have, how we help them interpret our actions in a way that's 
more close to the reality for us. Less a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, right? Because we not only interpret the world through stories, but we look for confirming evidence of that. Mm -hmm. And then we react based on that story. And And then it creates our identity. Yeah. Yeah. And so a big part of what I do is try to help people think more carefully about how things are landing. Mm. You know, I remember when I was a doctoral student, my first class I was in, there's about 20 doctoral students sitting around from a couple of different universities. And the professor asks a question and I, I respond. And then there's just silence. And afterwards I asked my, one of my classmates, I said, did I just sound like an idiot? <laughs> like, was everyone yeah. just stunned at how stupid I am? Yeah. And they or said, were they uh, stunned by how smart I sounded? <laughs> well, and that's what he came back. He said, you said that, and everyone went, oh, my Whoa. God. Oh, and what a guy. Isn't that interesting that yeah. we immediately tell ourselves that story? Yeah. And I, I'm sitting there going, oh, man, I'm not going to say anything again, right? Like, I am not going to speak up again because I'm not sure. And then afterwards, we're talking about it, and he goes, no. Everyone was just like, wow, how did he get there? And he said, that's what was going through my head. And I would talk to my sons. You know, my older son, uh, Thomas, would, would kind of be walking through the hallways when he was in middle school. And all these kids would be saying, hi, Thomas, hi, Thomas, hi, Thomas. And I'd be like, wow, you're really popular. And he goes, oh, they're just being polite, Dad. And I said, that's why they walked by five other kids and said hi to you. Oh. And he kind of went, oh. And so I start helping him reinterpret the world, right? And I start helping them. And I've written a piece on trust and parenting um, that's on my website at trustunlimited.com that people can just go to the blog section and read if they're interested. I think that when we're parenting, it's a relational approach that we should be taking. You know, a lot of parents use a command and control style. Mm. And let's go back to that sort of multiplicative model, right? That formula. Uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. I'm never more vulnerable than when it comes to my kids. Which means I can't tolerate a lot of uncertainty. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Relatable. Right? And so how do I squeeze the uncertainty out of that equation to make myself more comfortable? Mm. One way is to control the crap out of them and monitor them closely and and try to manage everything. To our listeners, that's not the option we want you to take. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if that's you, it's okay. That's why you're listening to this right. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Because what happens, those, those kids eventually need to establish their own identity. And the harder we hold on, the harder they have to fight to get free the more destructive it becomes to that relationship. And in the worst case scenario, they don't manage it. They don't manage to fight their way to freedom. And you've set them up really well to be controlled by whoever comes along next. Mm. Well, and we're seeing it now. We're seeing it in the statistics of just, I mean, let's talk about college freshmen dropping out of their freshman year and moving back home. Uh, They have a complete inability to deal with life's challenges because mom and dad have controlled so much of their upbringing that they didn't give them space to figure it out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, I I talk about stepping on a rake, right? You step on a rake and the handle comes up and bonks you in the nose. 
And for a while, I would say to my sons, oh, there's a rake. There's a rake. Look out. That's a rake. And then I realized all they're learning from this is that dad knows where the rakes are. <laughs> and so. Versus just, them being able to see where the, the rakes were for themselves. Yeah. And so I had to step back and let them step on the odd rake themselves and then mm. come alongside and go, wow, that looked like it hurt. Mm. How do we respond now, now that we've stepped on the rake? And how do we think about how we could have avoided that in the first place? How do we learn from that? And so I, I follow a much more relational approach to parenting my sons. They need to understand that I have their best interest at heart. And I want them coming to me when they have big problems, not somebody else who doesn't, no one cares about them as much as I do. No one. And so no one's going to put their interests first like I am. Mm. Everyone else has got some kind of agenda or they're distracted or they're self-involved or whatever. I care about them more than anything. And so I want them turning to me for, for these pieces of advice and conversation. And so I say to them, hey, I'm never more vulnerable than when it comes to you. I can't handle a lot of uncertainty. So you need to help me. You need to tell me what's going on. We need to have conversations. And they tell me things I never would have told my parents. Oh, that's incredible, though, because you're, in a sense, then asking them to be as vulnerable with you as you are with them. And they, like you're, I mean, you're the CEO of a company called Trust Unlimited. They are practicing the unlimited trust with you, which I can agree. There are things that I would have never told my parents. And what's that based on? That that perceived story that we're telling ourselves of, we're going to get in trouble. Uh, There's going to be repercussions. They're going to look at me like I'm stupid. All of these things that we come up with in our heads. However, different generations come with different tools to be able to handle such information. Yeah. And I I believe I future-proofed my kids. because That's incredible. Because they've learned the model. They know how to get along with people. You know, I live in Victoria, British Columbia. And so my oldest son wanted to go get a baseball scholarship. He did. He ended up in a small school in Missouri, just north of St. Louis. And Canada is a bit more liberal than the U.S. is in general. Missouri is not the most liberal state in the U.S. You know, it was Trump country. Right. And he's going to a Baptist school and we're not Baptists. And so there's all kinds of reasons for him to fail. Mm, right. But he thrives. And he thrives because he's able to build really good relationships. And he goes into that environment. He ends up after three years getting, he was an NAIA academic All-American on a baseball scholarship. He's just transferring now to High Point in North Carolina. But he's been remarkably successful. And my younger son, Alexander, 18 years old, starting college. And again, managing the world at a time when it feels so turbulent. Yeah. Right. Really well. Yeah. One of my favorite authors, his name is James Clear. He said, the cost of your good habits are in the present. The cost of your bad habits are in the future, right? Right. So I think the picture you just painted is the payoff to your good habits. Mm -hmm. What you're practicing now is in your future when we start to come across those situations that are completely uncertain to us. Well, and I was just going to chime in and say that I love you sharing your personal story about your children. Yeah. And celebrating that they are good people and thriving oh. in 
a very turbulent time in our world, in our society, because I, too, am a parent. I have two boys. And my, so I'm looking to you, Daryl. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you are my inspiration. I have a seven and a nine-year-old. Oh, that's awesome. I am so committed to them. So I, I feel what you are saying to my core, to my being around me wanting to be vulnerable with them so that they come to me and I want to teach them that no matter whatever situation we're in or they're in, that they can be successful. So thank you for showing and teaching me and our listeners that these are the examples, that this is what you can do if you stay committed, that your kids will be okay and and find the rakes. I love that analogy. I'm like, okay, I am taking that. So that you don't have to control them and that they can find their own success. Yeah. And on their own terms, right? So Correct. Right. So when I talk about uncertainty times vulnerability equals risk, when I help people understand how to build deeper relationships, it starts with where does uncertainty come from? And how do I take steps to reduce it? And where does vulnerability come from? And how do I take steps to help the other person manage that? And... So uncertainty comes from two places. It comes from us as individuals, and it comes from the context that we're embedded in. You know, there's a lot of research that talks about that individual uncertainty piece, right? There's three levers that they talk about. And and I talk in terms of levers that we can pull to build stronger relationships. Love a good analogy. I love love a good... I'm taking notes. In my mind, I'm picturing levels that I'm pulling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and we, we all have the ability to build trust. Some are just better than others, right? So... Those who aren't very good have a lever that they pull. It's usually the ability lever, right? Do it because I said so. I'm your mom. I've had experience. I've, I've got X kind of credentials. I'm, you know, whatever it is. Those who are better have multiple levers that they pull. Those who are really good have multiple levers and they know when to pull which one. Mm. And so if we think about individual elements of trustworthiness, they are... Benevolence, integrity, and ability. And benevolence is this belief that you've got my best interest at heart and that you'll act in my best interest. Integrity is, do I follow through on my promises and do my actions line up with the values that I express? And ability is, do I have the competence to do what I say I'm going to do? And so when I am standing in front of a group of parents, I'll say to them, who here has their kid's best interest at heart? Every hand. Every hand. Yeah, of course. Of course. Then I flip the question and I say, how mm. many of your kids would say that? <laughs> it's about a third. Not every hand. Wow. About a third. And somewhat Dang. hesitant. Right? Like and those T-Rex arms. They're like, I don't yeah. want to fully commit to putting yeah, my hand like, all the way Do you see up. my fingers shaking? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm okay. right here. I mean, from our perspective, it's not interesting, but it is mind-blowing. Right. Because it doesn't matter if I think I'm benevolent. You have to believe it. Mm. Right? So... So for me to actually pull that lever, I have to convince you that I have your best interest at heart. And when we're parents, we're thinking about today and tomorrow and next week, next month, next year, 10 years down the road. We want what's best for our kids for the rest of their lives. We want them to do things now that are going to help them years from now. We don't hold ourselves to that standard. (laughs) And they're thinking about right now. Right. And so there's this huge time difference in our perspectives. And so 
We have to actually help them be successful now to earn the right to talk about later. Mm. Oh. And we yeah. have to help them be part of that conversation. Right. Right? So when my oldest was 12, he looked at me one day and he said, Dad, even when you're upset with me, I know it's about what's best for me. And once you get that narrative in their head, you're winning. Well, the conversation becomes more, like you said, relationship, relational and collaborative. It yeah. can't just be a do as I say, not as I do type of a relationship. Right. Well, and I want to ask a question. So I'm in this really interesting phase in my son, my older son, who's nine. Yeah. He wants a Nintendo like every other kid that he's friends with. And right. a Nintendo is kind of the entryway then to a cell phone and all of these things, you know, right. like the next ideation of the gateway of the, of, of the things. So I had a conversation with him around just saying that, no, I love you. And I love that your friends, parents have a different viewpoint than I do, but I love your brain enough to not have a Nintendo in our house. Will I allow you to play it at your friend's house? Absolutely. But buddy, I'm trying to keep you safe. And he didn't see it. And I'm also okay because I'm constantly in this work of knowing that I am raising an adult. I'm not raising a child. I am, I I really hear you when you say what, yeah. yeah, what, what, what does he need to know now in order to set him up for his future self? Right. I hear you on that. And I see it, but I also see friends that don't see it where it's like, I'm going to give my kids everything that they want. Right. And it's hard to watch and it's not my place to parent or judge, but I'm curious around those parents who are not aware of what they're doing to their kiddos by not having these conversations. I mean, Where right. do they start? It's those parents, it's those coworkers, it's it's everyone, right? We can mm-hmm. we can boil this question down to society, which right. is your wheelhouse pitching it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's you're right, there's challenges there particularly when they compare themselves to others. So we have the uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. That's the trust decision. And then we have perceived outcomes, right? Whether we think the outcome is fair or good or successful and who's responsible for that. And in the middle of all this is our emotional states, right? Whether we like or dislike somebody else. Right. The challenge that we face when people start to compare themselves is that they'll feel like they'll, they'll use the term fairness. It's not fair. My friends all have Nintendos and I don't. You're just being mean to me. You know, they'll pull different levers to try to be successful. A lot of times what I do with my kids, you know, when they used to tantrum when they were little, really little, I would sit down across from them and I would say, I really want you to be successful. What you're doing right now isn't going to make you successful. And the harder you tantrum, the more determined I become not to give you what you want. You need to find another way to convince me. Mm-hmm. And so if your son is sort of talking about Nintendo, I would say, here's the concerns I have. And these are the concerns about your brain development, about your socialization, about these other things that are longer term in nature. 
that I I'm thinking about that that you're not quite ready to think about yet. And so I feel like it's my job to protect you from some of those things. How do you help me become more comfortable with that decision? Gosh, and that's so beautiful that. because it helps them hone in on their critical thinking skills as well as their ability to work on a team, right? These are all things that we know our kids are going to have to do at some point, both mm-hmm. in their development and as an adult. And what we're seeing in the workspace now is that kids who have been given everything or who have quote unquote helicopter parents are not as successful in the workspace mm-hmm. right. as other kids are. And I know you do a ton of work with senior executives and you're in big business with a lot yeah. of these, I won't call them big babies, but <laughs> I'm assuming that that's <laughs> how it feels um, when when corporate America is not getting along. Mm-hmm. Right. These that's levels of entitlement. Yeah. Um, that sort of notion that, you know, I'm the center of the universe and... My way is the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so helping people understand some level of empathy, some level of, you know, what are the questions that I could ask to include people in this conversation? And part of the work we're doing right now is, is figuring out how to make things even a bit more simple and talk about leading with your imperfections, right? Acknowledging that you're not perfect, understanding that what might have made you a great leader 10 years ago is not the same thing that would make you a great leader today. And what makes a great leader three years from now is going to be different again. And so you're going to need to let go of the things that you're good at and step into new skills that will make you great in the next iteration. And that means you're going to make mistakes because we don't learn without making mistakes. And so we're trying to convince leaders that they need to actually have some of these conversations with those they lead, where they say, I'm going to be stepping into new skills and responsibilities and I'm going to stumble. I may fall. And my expectation is that you'll be there supporting me, helping me learn through the mistakes that I'm making, because that's exactly what I'm going to be doing for you. I'm seeing your, the formula around what you have been saying this whole time just come into play right there. Right. Because I'm sure as a corporate C-level exec, you know, in a new position, I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And... Why would he or she want to be vulnerable? I right. want to. I'm in this position for a reason. I want to show you that I have all of the answers and the vision. Right. But that that rubs people a certain way, and people want to see that you're human. Yeah, it so allows love, them to engage. I, right? I can. I ha- that formula. I'm like, okay, I'm seeing this. And it allows us to act as a role model, so that other people aren't terrified of making mistakes themselves. Right. God, and I love that because that brings it back to your example of being in your classroom um, and, and raising your hand and giving that answer and thinking since everyone was silent, you were dumb, but they were really looking at you as the example and you were giving them the permission to seek understanding in their future yeah. and be brave enough to raise their hand with their answer, whether it was right or wrong, you gave somebody else permission by going first. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I have one of my favorite stories is about my younger guy, Alexander. So I started working as helping this woman, Allison Reese, who's a brilliant parenting expert. And so I was helping out with her courses. And she was talking about traits that we have, right? That are not really a choice. It's part of how we're hardwired. 
And one of the traits was distractible. And these traits have positive and negative attributes associated with them. So Alexander is funny, he's observant, he's thoughtful about other people, he's, he's really intelligent. And at the same time, he was highly distractible, which meant Are that he was Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm funny, I'm liked, I care about people, and on the same track, I'm pretty easily distractible. <laughs> yeah, right? And so Alexander was always late. And I was waiting for him one day after school. And we only got a certain amount of time together because his wife and I, his mother and I had split up. And so I only got a limited amount of time with them. And so time felt really precious. Mm. And I'm leaning against this tree and all the other kids have come out and the teachers have come out and the janitor's trying to close up and he finally <laughs> comes out of, the, out of the building, right? So he's later than normal and he's dragging his feet and he's looking down. He just looks so dejected. And in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, this is not intentional. This is part of who he is. And so my choice in this moment is to either get angry and upset with him, which is what everyone is doing. Right. And it's not changing the behavior. Right. Or I can accept him for who he is, all that he is, and just love him for everything that he is. Well, and I bet you asked some questions in that moment, too, to make him feel understood. Actually, what happened was he came up to me and he said, Dad, I'm really sorry I'm late. And I said, buddy, you're worth the wait. Oh, what a line. Well, gosh, and what an example of responding versus reacting because it's right. so damn easy to react. It's so easy to get pissed off and think that the actions of someone else are directly related to you and yeah. are, are aimed at hurting you when in reality, again, what we say to our kids is some, sometimes people aren't even thinking about us, right. right? Especially in that age range, which you pointed out earlier, there's not a lot of kids that are out there thinking about other people. Realistically, they're thinking about themselves. And yeah. in that moment, he probably was. It didn't have anything to do with you, but we make so much meaning out of our kids' actions. Yeah. And then we allow it to tell a story about how good of a parent we are. Yeah. It's wild. I and so the level of relief that he had, I said, buddy, whoever comes next is not nearly as important as you. And that acceptance was so powerful for him. And he just, his shoulders kind of just went, oh, right? And it was a major moment for us in our relationship. And, you know, we fast forward a year later and, and, my sons are different human beings, right? They're not the same being. My older son likes sports, and I like sports, and we talk about that. And and my younger son, Alexander, said, I'm sorry I'm not more like Thomas. Oh. He said, you know, you, you have such an easy time talking about certain things with him. And I said, wow, I spend zero time wishing you were someone else. <laughs> I love you for everything that you are. I wouldn't change you at all. And just and, to hear that again, is that reassurance, the reinforcement. Well, because if he doesn't get it from the most important people who love him, yeah. he's, he's not going to elsewhere. Exactly. And I know we've talked about this. He's not going to come to you. Right. He's going to hold. A, what a vulnerable thing to share. Yeah. And for you to be like, I love, <laughs> my gosh, I love you for you. Yeah. 
You know, how cool for you to recognize that and for him to receive that and for him to continue to show up, especially as a man, a young man, to open up to their father and be vulnerable like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have such amazing relationships with my sons. You know, they, as they've gone through the teenage years, they routinely give me huge hugs in -hmm. front of everyone. Right? They tell me they love me in front of everyone. There's none of this, oh, I'm ashamed of my dad. Right? And I'm, so I'm legally blind. I wander around with a guide dog, Drake. Um, and, you know, they get protective if their oh. friends make comments. Yeah. They, they, they say, that's my dad. Like, you don't talk negatively about my dad. Um, they are happy to give me public displays of affection to tell me they love me. And, you know, other parents, when they were kids, said, would say to me, you know, we'd be at the hockey rink. They'd say, your kids run to you. They throw themselves on you. Like, that's not happening with other people. And that's because of the way that I approach them. Well, I think you're such an incredible case study if I if I want to look at it clinically because it's very clear that you have these incredible transferable skills. So you right. started a business called Trust Unlimited in 2003 and the work that you're doing regardless of why you started the business, the work that you're doing in your professional life is something that can, if allowed, hugely transfer to your personal life. And it is very clear from this conversation that you've taken full advantage of those transferable skills and use them in your parenting for good. Yeah, Because we get to decide that, right? We get to decide how our relationships go, but we have to be open enough to experiment with different ways of being in order to get different results. Well, and that's just it. You know, we all have the ability to build trust. We can all get better at it. Oh, it's a learned amen. skill. My frustration is that there's a lot of people talking about trust and talking about how much it's in decline and how much we need it. But there's so few people talking about what to actually do about it. Oh. Exactly. I really do feel like there are parents out there who want to be better. They yeah. just don't know how or yeah. where to start. So I will tell you the story of you know, one of my students in uh, Luxembourg when I was teaching there, I get all of my, so when I do my workshops or do my coaching or, you know, in my book or in the masterclass that I have, everywhere that I engage with people, I get them to pick someone to practice with, right? Because that's how we really learn. And so I get them to practice these skills. And so I was teaching an MBA course in the Luxembourg School of Business. And one of my students said, well, I want to pick my two sons. They're five and three, and we're really alienated from each other. And he said, you know, I've been working in Brazil. They live in Luxembourg. I don't know how to fix this. I think the relationship's broken forever. And so through the three-month course, I was teaching him how the, how the model worked, talking to him, coaching him about how to apply it to his kids. At the end of three months, his final report was, everything has changed completely. My kids run to me. They throw themselves on me. They tell me they love me all the time. They fight over who gets to sit next to me at at meals. They, They want me to read stories to them. It's a complete transformation. What blows my mind having a very stressed relationship with my father, um, Mm. it's pretty estranged at this point, is the saying um, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I feel like 
people wear that as an identity. Yeah. As they are this way, and that is the way they will be regardless of what ebbs and flows in their life because that's just them, quote unquote. Right. And the story you just detailed is such a beautiful example of the fact that we can change. We're not a tree. We're not planted. We're not stuck. If yeah. we're not getting what we want, then we have to try a new approach in order to get that different result. And it just blows my mind working with some individuals who are so stuck in their habits, in their ways, that they literally can't see the forest from the trees. They can't right. see that they're the ones in their own way. And that if a simple change, an adjustment here, a pivot there is something that they could embody, they would get a completely different result from from yeah. those people around them. Yeah. And that's a lot of the coaching work that I end up doing, mm. right, is helping people understand, okay, the way we deliver the message, the conversations that we have lead to it being interpreted dramatically differently. and. You know, people will say, oh, thank God you're here. Um, I need you to change that person's behavior because they're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, well, I'm not working huh. with that person. I'm working with you. We so, get that a lot. We, we, we get also that lot. get that. Yeah. yeah, right? That's funny. And and I saw that in the parenting courses as well. You know, I'm here for you to fix my kid. Yeah, your kid's not here. We're not working with your kid. We're working with you to try and to get different they're not the one results. that's broken. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Daryl, this conversation has been awesome. I, speaking for both of us, the work you do is so important. And the fact that you really, you had no idea what was coming. It's 2023. You've been doing this for 20 years. Right. The fact that you really set yourself up uh, for success with such a healthy foundation going into the last three years in particular has to feel not good for you because as we were talking about before we hit record, it's not like you want the world to be more hostile and less trustworthy in order yeah. for your business to grow. What you want by doing this work is for there to be more trust and more vulnerability and more than peace amongst all of us. Yeah. So just a huge applause to you for getting dirty in this work because it's not clean. It can't feel clean. It's got to feel pretty darn hard to deal with so many opposing opinions and people who feel like they are just right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wading into some of the, and the, the challenge when you write a doctoral thesis on building trust in hostile environments is that people throw you into hostile environments, right? And, yeah. And so a fair amount of experience of that with, with people who are struggling to get along. Um, but it's fixable. It's this is the frustration for me is that things are really bad right now. We could be better. Right. And really it's just about people having a, a higher level of awareness. People think that, Oh, the trust training guy's coming. Oh my God, we're going to sing songs and we're going to wander <laughs> around blindfold. Yes. <laughs> we're going to walk on hot coals. We're going to do a trust tree. Everyone's going to fall. <laughs> yeah. Trust fall. Uh, well, I'm not catching I, that guy. I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do any of that stuff, right? It's it's really about understanding how people think and helping us have better relationships, stronger relationships, more resilient. Trust is a social lubricant that makes our lives easier. And whether that's as a parent or a leader or a, a partner, whatever that is, you know, we can get better at it. And that's the message I'm really trying to share. Um, and that's why I wrote the book. You know, I wrote my book, Building Trust, Leading in Times of Uncertainty, 
because I wanted to scale the message. I wanted more people to get access to it so they could see how to pull the levers. Mm, I love that. Well, it's a great visual. It is. And what I want to say around our time together is I'm grateful that I got to learn so much about myself and who I get to be with Mary as a partner and in this business, but most importantly, right. as a as a mom. So I'm thinking about your children, your two boys, and what yeah. a legacy you're leaving them so yeah. that they then can turn around and and show up in trust and vulnerability and responsibility and respect for other people. It's yeah. this this ripple effect. So it's not all in consuming. It's you're being really generous so more people can do good in the world, but also feel good in this world. Right. And and what I tried to role model during our conversation was ability. So I understand what I'm talking about. Integrity. I have these values and I'm following through on them, trying to make the world a better place by sharing as much as I can and benevolence. I really want you guys to thrive. And so I want that for you. I want that for your audience. And part of that comes from, you know, just learning more about this topic and, and becoming more intentional about the relationships that we have. I mean, we, we feel all three of those things from you and this conversation is going to be so valuable for the listener on the other end of the audio, whatever, however they're listening to it. So we'll definitely be linking your book in our show notes. You mentioned your blog as well. So right. we'll link your website. Is there any other place you would want people to go to seek out your work and what you do? So I think there's, there's different levels of intentionality that you can engage in. One is starting to look at the website. Level two is getting the book, reading, not just reading it, but applying it, right? Because mm -hmm. there's all kinds of concepts in there for you to actually apply. And you know, here's the levers, here's how you pull them. Um, yeah. And so practicing those in your relationships. Level three is the masterclass. It's about three hours in length. It's broken up into five minute segments. So it's pretty easy to digest, but it has role plays and examples of ways to practice these skills. And then, you know, I'd love it if people reached out to me, Daryl at trustunlimited.com. If they have questions or, or want to learn more. That's incredible. Great. Daryl, thank you for being so open, so open to teaching and sharing and going first and being vulnerable. You are gifting so many people with your gifts. And I cannot wait to hear what our audience, what they took away from this conversation and most importantly, what they're applying yeah. or how they're applying it to their lives. And I'd love to hear that feedback as well. Right. Oh. Don't you, you worry. Betcha. We got you, Daryl. <laughs> and for you, the listener on the other end, we will see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to What's the Lesson. If you're feeling the same I can do anything attitude that we are, here's how you can keep the momentum going. Spread the good vibes. Share this episode with your friends, family, or give us a shout out on your social media. Fancy a trip to iTunes Town? We're all ears for your ratings and reviews. Seriously, we read each one of them. Your thoughts are like gold to us. Lastly, let's be friends. Hang out with us on social media for more awesome content and behind the scenes action. And until we meet again, remember our golden rule. Turning those WTF moments into WTL moments is a superpower. 
Practice is always progress. And you've got this.